I don't have to figure out the paradigm. It, whatever God's desire is doesn't have to fit my paradigm. Uh, it's it's more important for me to be obedient to what God does, even if that's not what's good and right and acceptable in my culture. And I would add too. I think the longer we've been on staff, we've just seen it as good stewardship. Um, like the, the way that the Lord has made me, the passions I have, the things that get me excited to serve the Lord. The best stewardship of that is by doing the ministry that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, not just to steward our money and our time, but our whole life. So this calling that we have is just good stewardship. Monica, I'm curious, when, when you guys married, were y'all already, before before marriage, were y'all already planning to do missions together, or how did that process go? I think that's why we got married. Okay. Like, I think it was, a, I knew that the Lord wanted to use me to, to reach college students, and he knew that, and we're like, we like each other, why don't we just do it together? <laughs> being with and 
beholding Christ? Oh, I understood the question. I'm just afraid to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it. It is. It's. I mean, you cannot share with other people what you don't have yourself. Right. If you want someone to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to be able to model that for them. Mm-hmm. It needs to be genuine. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you're in the business of replicating, right? What do you replicate? Right. So I, I think that's so important. For me, and I think I would say for him also, that's one of the things that we struggle with the most is those dry times. Mm-hmm. Because where we're working, we're, we're, sometimes we're isolated. We don't, you know, we go to places where there aren't believers and we want there to be believers. And so there's, there's periods of isolation and dryness there. That, that's the hard part to make it through is those empty times. I think some people talked about that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. So I was going to say that, you know, Paul encouraged the believers to, you know, to become imitators of Christ. And I know as we behold, you know, as we behold him, uh, we're going to become like him. And so um, the idea of doing the work, you know, first of all, we cannot do this work on our own. And so we are following Jesus. We're watching him and spending time with him. You know, that's what the disciples did. Uh, the disciples did, you know, they watched him every day, they saw what he what was going on, how he modeled, um, you know, himself and the Father, and so basically, they, when they were called to be, you know, when they were released to go, so they were able to do it with, with um, passion, and, and they were doing it with, um, not just in their own strength, but they were doing it in the, in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit as well. There's a verse in Acts where the apostles have been arrested and they're going for um, the council that are telling them to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. And they say, we can't stop speaking about the things that we've seen and heard. And I think that that really translates a lot to what we experience as well, that we can't give people what we're not experiencing personally. That doesn't mean that that's like the always the most healthy thing, but like it's that constant reminder that that's where we need to be. Um, and that it, the, the thing for me, too, I think sometimes you can get, or I can get wrapped up in, well, I'm good at this and I'm good at that. And I think that makes me more um, dependent on myself and my strengths rather than depending on the Spirit of God at work. And that's those times where I'm glad that I get, a, I have this uh, ministry that is constantly changing. And so when I hit one of those seasons and like I'm starting to depend on myself, well, summer mission's coming up. I'm having to step out in faith and, and do something different here um, and starting to get into those areas where you're challenged in ways that you know. Not just that you intellectually know, but now I'm actually putting my um, faith out here to say, I know that God has to work. Um, that's, those times are helpful in bringing back um, we need to be back here. We have to be dependent on God mm-hmm. for all of this, and that relationship is so important. Awesome. Speak to the creativity that's involved in um, mission. I think when we when we think sometimes about missionaries, we think about you know they uh, set up a tent and a sound system and start preaching. You know, and I think there's way more creativity involved. And I think if we hear from you guys about the way you work and, and some of the some of the ways that you think it might really encourage, like I'm thinking of, uh, we have a couple in our church that recently opened a coffee house, and 
that has become a really cool hub for some meaningful conversation and meaningful ministry. And I'm thinking about you know many others in our fellowship that have a business or a job. And, and I want to really, the motive for the question is, how can we promote their minds to creativity with the gospel? Anybody want to share? This is one of my favorite parts that, that we get to do because I think when you think about what your good things are, so whatever it is out there that you're, you think that you're, you know, God has, has uniquely designed me in a way, how can I begin to use that? Um, you, you have to start at times beginning to break out of some of the molds that exist and go, there's not something here that's meaning to see. So I think missionaries think differently because we're not thinking about programs constantly. Like there's, you know, with, within the church setting, there's a service every Sunday. You've got to think about that. You've got to think about what's going on here. you got to think about what's going on with, with um, the small groups and things like that. When you're entering a mission field and you don't have anything established, you have to first be able to stop and go, uh, okay, what are the needs that I can identify here? How can I enter into meeting those needs? How can I gain trust with people? It's just, uh, the things that, that um, Steve was talking to us about yesterday, for those who were there with that, to enter into those places and to, to go, this is how God has uniquely set me up for that, um, different than what I, I see happening. Um, and so I can enter into this. So FCA is a great example of that. Athletes have a very tight-knit community. Uh, I, I ran cross-country at UAH. So I remember um, athletes are connected um, in a way that's different. And so you have to be an insider to be able to reach that group. What is it that's your insider group that you can reach? And so being able to, to pivot and think about not necessarily – to, you know, I, I'm constantly reminded of a purpose, and um, a lot of people say I'm an outside-of-the-box thinker, but I don't think that that's how I'm designed. I think I look at the box and say, how is the box supposed to work most effectively? And let's do that. And all these other things that are good, sometimes you have to sacrifice good for what's actually going to get you where you, where you need to go. Yeah. I think that Creativity comes from following the Holy Spirit. Okay. And and if I have a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? That's kind of the saying. If you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> There's a thing that I can do, right? Um, one of the things that Kim and I have always really tried to do is to go into any situation and see where is the Holy Spirit working, and let's do that thing. That's the thing that needs to happen, and how can we focus on that? And any of you who have come to Tyre on a, a ministry team with us, in the last five or six years, um, you will know that we do things differently when we have ministry teams come than almost anyone else I know. We don't say, here are our options of the things you can do. Choose one of these things for your team to do. We start out with the question, what has God called you to do? What gifts has he given you and your team? If he's not called you or given you a gift, I don't know what to tell you to do when you come here. Um, Creativity comes from looking what God has provided, what the Holy Spirit has provided. So we've had people who, who would never have thought to do this as a mission, but like artists who come and done art lessons. We've had people who come and done martial arts demonstrations. We've had all sorts of things where people came and used their passion or their talent um, to, do, to glorify Christ. So there's a mixed creativity when we give the Holy Spirit the reins. Awesome. Yeah. 
you know, I um, often in the morning, I would say to the Lord, um, I said, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you saying? I want to know what's in your heart today. I remember just recently I was in, you know, after the earthquake in Haiti, um, you know, usually when they, you have natural disasters like that, and it seems like a lot of the organizations are pretty much doing the same thing. And I wanted to be creative, but I did not know how. Um, I didn't just want to hand out nails and rice and, you know, that's it. I wanted to know what the Lord was doing. And then so, after spending time with a bunch of kids, you know, because um, I love to worship. I'm a worshiper. It doesn't matter where I'm at, I'm going to worship. I killed my guitar and I was surrounded by children. And, um, and I'm watching them as they were going about their day to day. And, um, you know, some were going to school, some were not. And so right there, um, the Lord began to speak to me and, and you know, showed me ways to minister to those children's need because so many of them were not able to go to school. Some of the building, buildings were destroyed. And so obviously I was not prepared to build a school in that, in that region. But the Lord immediately says, look, I want you to help this way. I want you to help them back in school. Help them, help their families, you know, um, with resources to be able to take them back to school. And I knew that if I did not take time to ask the Holy Spirit, I probably would have come back just doing the same thing. And so I, I think I agree with you, um, just asking the Father, asking the Holy Spirit, relying on the leadership, um, you know, leadership of the Holy Spirit, asking, and you will always know, and you will, it will always be fresh. Um, you know, God will always give you something new. That's good. One of the, one of the quotes we heard yesterday morning um, that has just resonated in my mind is, um, let's see if I can get this right, guys. Um, he said, the end goal of discipleship is not spiritual maturity. It's gospel mission. So what he was saying is that the goal of discipleship is not just two guys coming together, holding each other accountable, studying the Bible together, and then at the end of the day, they know more about Jesus, they sin less. Check. No, he's saying that's, that's not the goal of discipleship. The goal of discipleship is to Take this brother or sister to a place where then they are now fishing for men. It is to, to lead someone to be and live on mission, to disciple them up and send them out, just as Jesus did. So I'm interested to hear from you guys. I uh, heard that quote I think from Steve yesterday. What, um, in your particular ministry, how have you seen the Lord take someone from either unbeliever or new in their faith? Raise them up, and then, you know, one of the biggest joys in ministry is to see someone using their gifting for the glory of Christ, right? So to see them go full spectrum and to be used by Jesus. Uh, would you share maybe a story of and maybe how that goes about for you? Right, start with this. The last eight years have really been a big focus on discipleship um, for me because I, I look at the Great Commission and see it as a mandate to all people, go and make disciples. Um, that's, that's, not a, uh, that's not something that's there for 
for just a few. And so I have a definition that I think is actually, it's really wordy, but, um, but I, I think that it's the best definition of a disciple that I read. Um, this is from a book called Chasing Infinity by Martin Lederbach. Um, and he says, a disciple is a person who places his or her faith in Jesus Christ and who joyfully disciplines his or her life through obedience to God's commands in order to become like him in all facets of life and character and join him on his mission with other disciples. And so if your discipleship is different than mentoring, discipleship is different than, um, than apprenticing because it doesn't end. Um, it's something that by definition replicates. Uh, and so 2 Timothy 2 tells us that. What you've heard from me, teach faithful men who can also teach others. So it's something that needs to continue. If it doesn't continue, you can have all the best information in the world and teach that to someone. Um, and then all you've done is, is taught them. If they can't, then turn around and give that to someone else. Discipleship is also not just about content. Um, you, have, you have to think about, we need to help a person uh, have that the, the biblical framework and their growing in the faith. But that also involves uh, training them how to share their faith, um, how to do ministry, uh, helping them to see what opportunities they have around them, and then the practical life on life side of things. And so when you when you take that, we, we developed a model um, that we implemented in Birmingham, and we're able to see uh, about a one-year replication cycle with this, and it's easy with college students, right? They come in as freshmen, you meet them, you get to go through this process, their sophomore year, they get to start cycling someone, and then uh, their person is starting, they get to continue on through that throughout college. And so by the time we left Birmingham last year, we have several intact five-generation discipleship chains of, of staff person discipling, senior discipling, junior discipling, sophomore discipling, freshman, going all the way down through that. And that's something that um, once it got started, uh, I, it, it really occurred to me, too, that sometimes when I say, that person, I don't think that they can do this. You know, I think what I'm doing at times when I do that, I mean, there's some wisdom that's needed. But I think what I'm doing is I'm not limiting that person. I'm limiting the what the Holy Spirit can do in and through that person. Because the same Spirit that lives in me lives inside of them. And, and so I don't want to be responsible for putting the brakes on someone when, are they going to be perfect at it? No. Am I perfect at it? No. You know, but uh, taking a step of faith and being able to do that, I think that that's really beautiful. And so we had a senior graduate a couple of years ago that when he graduated and we were, we were doing a senior sitting night, um, I had everyone who he had discipled or who his disciples had disciples, had disciples stand up. And it was just this amazing thing to wow. see the impact that this intentionality of a single person that then turns into another person, that turns into another person. That's the way the world has changed. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's beautiful to see that happen. So you're saying this, this young man was able to stand up and identify people that he had decided. They, they stood up. They yeah, I thought that was the thing. So, yeah, so they, like, you, if, wow. if, you, if, if he discipled you or one of these people did, and we had this room full of people, they got to stand up to see that. That's um, and so just really, really amazing to see the impact that can be left. Chris, you do a ministry at the moment with Muslims. And um, 
a few years ago, we, we had a team that went um, to Tyre and loved it. Last one I've ever laughed on a mission trip in my life. Um, but we had a great time uh, serving alongside you and Kim, and a real blessing. Several of the people that at that time you were reaching out to with the gospel to try to see them come out of Islam and into Christ have now been born again and have been baptized and are being discipled. Um, and I think in particular, I've been watching, if you're not connected with these guys um, on their social media and stuff like that, um, there's disclaimers, you shouldn't share their images or those kinds of things, but um, you need to follow their stuff. They'll be available afterward. But I've been watching some of Yasser's ministry with the Muslims. Would you just share um, how you connected with him and how you've invested in him and now what he's doing for the kingdom? Sure. So Yasser and I, I guess I met him about eight years ago. Um, he came to my house, and he was a Muslim at the time, had no interest in Christianity. But he had said this to me. He said, you know, I've not been in a mosque in 30 years. At that time, I guess it was 25. Uh, 1990 was the last time he'd been to a mosque. He said, I don't know what I'm looking for. It was like that YouTube song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Uh, he said, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I know I didn't come here for the mosque. And, uh, and so we developed a friendship. Uh, he started coming to church services where I was working. Um, and, and he began to listen. And he was one of those people that's, sits back and watches and soaks it in. And, and those people are the ones that will make, in the end, the best disciples, but they're also the ones that, they're watching your every move. <laughs> they want to know if you really are doing all of that stuff that Jesus said to do. And so he was looking for that, and, and over the course of years we developed a friendship. He came through a phase where he was really not knowing what he wanted to do. He said, like, I want to be with Jesus, but I know I'm going to lose everything. You know, if I follow Jesus, my family's gone. I can't even let my wife know. I can't let my kids know. Uh, you know, I'll lose everything. And he said, it's like I'm on the fence. And I said, that's exactly where you are. You're on the fence. And all I can tell you is, throw yourself off and let Jesus catch you. You know, just throw yourself off the fence. Um, he eventually did pray to receive Christ. Uh, went through a period where he was afraid to be baptized. Because here, when someone gets saved, we want baptism right away because everybody loves a good baptism. People cheer and clap and holler, and like Grandma puts it on Facebook for everybody to see, and we're all happy, and tags all of our friends. It's not like that for y'all, uh, When a Muslim gets baptized, there's no turning back. They burn the last bridge to their history, to their, to their past. And so he knew that that was the point where he was the point of no return for him. And, uh, and so he was even afraid for his wife to know he was getting baptized. And so we don't do secret baptisms. I said, that's not how this works. You've got to work through this to the point where your, your family can know, where you, where you have a community around you that knows. Right. And so that was a real struggle for him. Um, he eventually came to the point where he said, you know what? I don't know, but I'm ready to be baptized. I don't know what it's going to cost me, but I can't wait. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm ready to be baptized, you know. And, and, uh, and so he did have one other brother that was baptized with him at the same time. Uh, we did those two baptisms together. And that was a breaking point for Yasser. He said, I am all in now. I don't care who knows. I don't care. I, I'm, I'm glad for the world to know. He got death threats from his family, and especially from his wife's family. And it wasn't the sort of death threats that we give on Sam Mountain. 
fire to see him, I'll kill him. You know, that's the same amount of death threat, right? These were calculated judicial rulings. You violated the Quran. You've become an unbeliever. You've broken the law. Because of that, the sentence for this is death, and we're going to execute you according to the law. And these are the kind of cold death threats that he got. They were serious. They weren't fooling around trash talking. And so he's had to deal with that, and his wife's had to deal with that in her family. Uh, now she's become a believer, and his oldest son has been baptized. And so he's Promise, but now get this: He has been traveling all over Lebanon now uh, because his his prayer, his goal, is to win five people from his uh, extended family. We would use like the Scottish word clan, like or a, a tribe. Uh, they're very tribal people. He said, "I want to get five people from my tribe to be with me, so that we'll have a, a, a community of believers." And I said, "You pray for five. I'm praying for twelve. Twelve is my number." Uh, but he has already led four people from his from his family group, his tribe, to Christ. So he's got his own community of believing men now that are bringing their families with him. So we've seen Yasser go from guy who was afraid to, to even be saved now to bold evangelist, leading his whole family group, his whole tribe to Christ. Uh, it, it's just been a really exciting journey to see him do that. Our, our team. Oh, I, I didn't mention this. We've anointed him an elder also. So oh, he's, wow. he's now an elder, a leader in our ministry. That is wonderful. Well, when our team was there a couple of years ago, Yasser and his wife hosted us in their home for, for a dinner on the living room floor. And uh, it was fantastic. We couldn't understand a word they were saying. But uh, it was really amazing. At that time, his wife was sort of juggling through what to do with her own spiritual journey. Um, what a, what a treat. Um, quick, rapid fire, yes or no, would you recommend people take a short-term mission trip? Um, right now, no. Well, not to Haiti. Not to Haiti. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 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 I still correct it. I mean, absolutely. Um, but I was, I thought it was specifically yeah, we specifically talked about trying to go back to Haiti. Our, our church has done, I think, 17 trips to Haiti over the years, 16, 17 trips. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, right now it's not, not a great time to go to Haiti. But in general, in general, every one of us should go. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yes. Can I add something? Like yes. That? Okay. <laughs> I can't speak to Haiti. Okay. I, I, I bless that answer. And I don't know the situation there. But the situation in Lebanon has deteriorated very badly. Uh, we have a lot of chaos, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of disorder in that time. Um, but here's the thing. The safest place for you is in the will of God. Mm -hmm. yes. The most dangerous place for you is outside the will of God. So let your calling and the will of God determine whether you go or not. But all of us should be going somewhere. And I encourage, yes, short-term mission trips. That's how we got the, the fire from the Holy Spirit. And it adds to our ministry. It helps us. As, as ministers for short-term mission teams to come. Yes. 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 I say yes, and I'm surprised you didn't say this. He always says this all still in the center. Um, you know, the, when you read scripture, the reasons are overwhelming to go. And so, you know, pray, pray for a reason to stay, because there's an abundant number of reasons to go. Absolutely. That's good. Yeah, if you're looking for a reason to stay, you're going to find it in the church. In the scripture. All right. Um, the value of the local church 
to your ministry? Great value. Absolutely. Um, you know, we just recently, for instance, I, uh, you know, I've been able to connect with um, the legal pastors in in the region of in the South region of Haiti, and um, you know, it's it's quite an experience because you know, standing as a ministry, we we are doing very specific things that we felt like the Lord called us to do. Even though we planted churches, but when you begin to um, go outside the box and begin to see um, the the need that is um, the need, and also what's worked with you know what the local church meant to the community, um, it's 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 critical that um, we um, invest in it and pray for it and see it. Uh, for what it is, because without the church, Jesus says, it's the light of the world. So there is tremendous value in it. Um, the whole nation stands on on the hope that we have. You know, they need that hope as well. Value in the church. I think it's indispensable. I think that the local church is God's chosen instrument to evangelize the nations. I, I believe that Kim and I have always placed ourselves under the authority of the local church. Even to this day, we have a church elder board. That, that we answer to, and, and we believe that very strongly. Church can look like different things. Uh, the local church here, Mountain View, has been so important to our ministry. Uh, I mean, we go back to the beginning with Mountain View. When this church started, uh, we were here doing some of the work to get the church started. And when we went to Lebanon, this was one of the first churches that supported our ministry. So we've really gone back a long way. And Mountain View has been so faithful over the years, so dependable and so faithful to support our ministry financially, to pray for us. We know the prayers are there and to send teams. And so this was not your question, but I'm going to go ahead and put this out there because we're talking about those things. I want you to send us your children. <laughs> I, that's the hard thing. Those other things your churches are, are agreeable to doing, but we would love to see young people in this church and from other churches that are high schoolers, uh, college students, uh, in between, taking that gap year. Come and spend some time with us in Lebanon. You can stay right at our house with us. Work for a month, three months with us in ministry and see if God is calling you uh, to be a, a long-term missionary. Probably, you know, probably the, the thing that keeps more people from the mission field is uh, helicopter parents. Um, we've, we've had to deal with that uh, a lot. Um, so, you know, I think that there, there needs to be an awareness too that um, what you said, the safest place you can be is in the will of God. Um, and I know as a parent now, uh, you want to think about the welfare of your children. You're thinking about like, keeping them safe and healthy and happy and all that. But I, I, I don't think that I can, if I'm going to be a good steward of my own life, I think that I'm responsible to be a good steward of my children as, as well. Um, and think about what God wants for them as much as I think about what my dreams and aspirations are for them. And so, um, as you know, as far as the church, I think is I think one of the biggest ways that we felt that was the year that we spent um, in China, because there's there's always the you know the every missionary is going to tell you about we we need financial support that's that's a reality, um, and and that's always helpful and needed, but I don't think that I realized until the year that we were there and we had a lot of. Uh, we had issues with security. We had 
team uh, struggles while we were there. Um, we had some some other security things going on, and the isolation also of spending holidays. You know, spending these we we're taking a team of fresh out of college uh, students over there with us that have never spent a holiday away from their families, and now they're going and they're missing Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter, and and the the only people that they have to be their people during that time uh, are their team, and so. I think that you can feel that isolation and aloneness, and I think that when that happens, that's when we were more aware than ever of the importance of having people that we're not um, just uh, out of sight, out of mind. You know, and I know that um, the Mountain View regularly has us on screen praying for us, doing those things, connecting in those ways, because those things are really important. Um, to be able to, to continue, missionaries need encouraged, y'all. Like that's that's the reality um, because it's hard, um, and we need to know that people are not just writing a check to us, but are also saying, "Hey, we we are behind you. And we want to see what God can do uh, in through you. We're going to be praying consistently that way." And I think maybe it's a little different for me. I think as you are going through this as a body of believers have given to us, that's what enables us to be full-time on campus, to give our full-time focus and attention in our mission field. And where that's really special for me is, as we've been on many campuses over the years, most campuses have, you know, a handful, if not more, of college ministries, um, SCA, PCM, RUF, Campus Outreach Crew, um, and very rarely do you find any of those organizations female staff. And so when you have a college university that's 50 to 60% female, you have no full-time female missionaries um, there for them. Um, that can feel really overwhelming. And so we definitely feel very blessed um, and privileged that we are both able to give our full-time focus um, because of the support and encouragement of local churches in 